are days when you are just not feeling it. Days where you feel like you've lost your mojo. If you're looking to get it back, then you've tuned to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on me. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you coming. Thanks for hitting the download button. We like to have you in the studio with us. If you're new to the show, we are all about finding people who've got interesting backstories, opinions, stuff to share that we think could help us get our mojo working in or out of work. It's a weekly show. If you go to iTunes or Stitcher, hit the subscribe button. We will deliver it to you every Monday morning to get your mojo working on a Monday, ready for the week ahead in and out of work. So driving the big red bus with the velour seat covers and the dice hanging from the rear view mirror. Yeah. That's right, you got it. It's Robbo. <laughs> How are you, mate? Hey, going right, yeah, eh? Here I've you changed, go, mate. I'm going right. I've splashed out. I've changed the seat covers to leopard skin this week, just for a change. You know, when I, to take you back, mm. when I was 17, my first job out of school, when I worked for Walton, mm. I used to sell them. Waltons, wow. And there were tiger skin covers in the tiger colours. <laughs> but the really one, really cool one that everybody wanted on their Dats and 180B jacked up back oh, units wow. was the tiger skin, but it was white <clears throat> and black. Yeah. And you still they got the same amount the of go, class man. today, folks, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that just gives away uh, exactly how old your host of the show. Of the That's host right, exactly. Show, I'm not please, far behind, it? so I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, that took a nasty turn. Anyway, uh, another good show ahead before mm. we rip into it. Um, I have some news to hand. Yeah, go. So if you recall, we had a guest on in the early days of the Mojo Radio Show, which was only 18 months ago. It was a guy mm. called Michael Machulik. Mm who works for a company called Concept Amenities. Now, I had met Michael and his team through a speech that I was doing. And one of the things I posed to him and his team was, what are you doing for others? Like, what are you doing to contribute to someone else's well-being? And they, on the spot, created a thing called SoapAid. Mm. Do you remember, remember Michael? I do indeed. They take the soap from hotel rooms and that hasn't been finished and recycle it into fresh bars of soap for people in disadvantaged areas to use for hygiene. Yeah, so that was episode 19 of the Mojo Radio Show. Mm. And a lot's happened since then. For example, Mm. uh, we've heard about the disaster relief efforts in Fiji because of the storms that ripped through there. Well, on 24 hours notice... The guys at Concept Amenities got soap aid into action and they've flown over five tonnes or 50,000 bars of soap aid soap to help all the families and the children in Fiji. Awesome. And why that is so great is that it dramatically improves hygiene. And we mm. know when all these communities are decimated, there is so much sewage and dirt and muck floating around. Hygiene is absolutely imperative. So I just want to send a shout out and a congratulations to the guys at SoapAid. Well done, Michael. We're big fans, mate, but that, um, to me, that just gets my mojo working. Absolutely. Can I, um, just on the back of that, give a shout out too to the, um, the local scout troop around here who are collecting um, secondhand clothing to, um, to be sent over there too. The, the family and I actually spent about an hour, hour and a half on Saturday afternoon bagging up all our old, old clothes and stuff that, um, that don't fit no more. And um, that's all going to be sent express post by the Australian Army, apparently, over there to, um, to be distributed to people who are in need as well. So um, there's plenty of people doing good work for that 
unfortunate situation in such a beautiful part of the world, aren't, aren't there? Well, there is, and it's it's ironic that we've got these things that for us we may not be getting value out of anymore, but mm. you send it to a place which is really in hard times, mm. um, and that's absolutely gold for them. So I think yeah. it's the effort mm. of looking at what resource have you got that no longer brings you joy, that's yeah. taking up space. Yeah. And it's repurposing a, it, and you can change someone's life simply by repurposing it. So I think, um, yeah, good on you, mate. It's good for you, for you and the family. Nice. It's interesting the mindset too, because Tanae had a bunch of stuff that she's had sitting around for you know a fair while now that she, you know she'd grown out of, but she couldn't bear to part with. But I noticed that you know she they, they disappeared off the hangers on the wall and got thrown into the bag as well. Obviously, realizing that you know there was someone that could do with them more than her. So it's it's obvious it's. It's interesting the mindset that sort of thing puts you in as well, isn't it? Well, it's look, it's a big underground trend right now. In fact, it's not even underground anymore. It's actually now all becoming a mainstream trend when you get mm. people like Marie Kondo, which who wrote a fantastic book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. Mm. And her principle is you go through your wardrobe, your cupboards, your fridge, your, your desktop, and say, is this bringing me joy or is this something I absolutely need to hang on to for functionality? If it's not, get rid of it. And one of the most empowering things to do when you do get rid of it is to repurpose it to somebody who needs it far more than mm. you do. Mm. And then the other way or the other resource you can look to for a strategy, how to do it, get your psychology right behind moving or repurposing stuff that's in your home or your office is through the minimalists who have a podcast series, a number of books and a very, very successful blog uh, and now I believe a documentary, which is on the screens in uh, in America, The Minimalists, uh, and and their whole principle is leading a more meaningful life with less stuff. Yeah. The reason I raise it is because they help you with the psychology of how you eliminate stuff and some of the tricky things like stuff that's nostalgic and how do you decide between something that brings you joy and is functional and mm. that sort of stuff. Mm. So it's, it's not our expertise, but I must say, Anybody who goes through this process, just as you and Tanae have done, and we've been through it, mm. uh, it's terribly empowering and it does make you feel good and mm. we just can't keep cluttering our lives and expect to have our mojo working. Yeah. Just next time you're in Fiji, if you're walking around, you see a whole bunch of kids in Beecroft, Cherrybrook Rugby Union jerseys, <laughs> you'll know where they came from. <laughs> yeah, and just, just, just give them the Mojo Radio Show salute because yeah. uh, they're the premiers. <laughs> exactly. There you 2015 go. premiers. I That's mean, right. You're mm -hmm. on a winner there, kid. Yeah, they're on the roll. Yeah. There you go. All right. Not that, not, not that you could teach the Fijians much about rugby. Just quietly. No, not really. <laughs> God, have you ever seen Fiji rugby? They play barefoot. Mate, I played against Fiji mm. uh, when I was playing for Teachers North in Brisbane in mm. uh, sevens. I was playing A grade. We played him in a sevens. And my first tackle, this Fijian guy hit me and dislocated my shoulder. Ah, <laughs> 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 right, good times, good yeah, times. Yeah, they were the days. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Anyway, we digress. We uh, do. What else have we got today? Um, I've got a quick little piece uh, from IKEA in Taiwan. They've come mm -hmm. up with a solution to our um, our favourite niggle of the family sitting around the dining table on their mobile phone. Right. 
Yeah, they've actually come up with a, a, a dining table <laughs> where your dinner doesn't cook unless you put your phone away. Really? Yeah. So if you if you imagine if you can picture in your mind the um, the Southeast Asian sort of, of, of culture of, of having the cooking pot in the middle of the table yep. and everyone cooking their own food. Well, unless everyone who is around the table has put their phone away on a shelf underneath the cook pot, the cook pot won't actually heat up. So you can't cook your dinner until everyone's put their phone away. And if you take oh, your phone cool. away while dinner's cooking, it actually drops the heat in the cooker and your dinner doesn't cook properly. So Jeez, you're actually that, that, forced to put your phone away. That could cause some serious problems for you if they ever brought out a fondue. Uh, yeah. A, a fondue Not application. the chocolate, no. You, you'd be stuffed, wouldn't you? No, I would che- you? I'd be gone. <laughs> your deep fried cheese. And <laughs> yeah, the only thing is um, I don't really want to know about the instruction manual that comes with that one to put it together, though, I've got to be honest. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. I thought that was a great idea. Now... Let's rip into the show. Let's do it. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, Robbo, long-time listener, Mm -hmm. special guest of the show and good mate of the Mojo Radio Show, Guillaume Pereira, who is an expert in everything digital and web. He put us in touch with our next guest, a lovely lady called Dr. Jenny Brockus. And we love having doctors on, don't we? We do. It makes us look intelligent. (laughs) Absolutely. Shout out to Smithy. Smithy. (laughs) Now, Dr. Jenny Brockus is a medical practitioner uh, who is a healthy brain advocate and future mind planner. Does that sound intriguing? Wow. Okay. I'm in in trouble here in this interview. (laughs) You you and me both. But what what I love about the work that Dr. Brockus is doing is, Mm. and we've been on this sort of rave, I guess, about the brain for a little while now because it's Mm. something that we don't, typically focus on, yet it is the centre of the nucleus of everything to do with productivity, performance, mm. happiness, emotional intelligence. Mm. And Dr. Brockus is a brain and human behaviour expert. And what's really cool, I think, about the work that Dr. Jenny is doing is that her dream is to become the Jamie Oliver of brain fitness mm. and making us recognise that brain health is just as important as the nutrition we have for our bodies. Yeah. So I think this is a fabulous topic. I really like Dr. Jenny's view and vibe and dream for this area of brain practice. So Dr. Jenny Brockus, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you so much. Delighted to be with you. Now, can we call you Dr. Jenny? <laughs> yes, you can, you can call me what you like, really, but Dr. Jenny works fine. We're yes. typical Aussies. We like to make things shorter and easier to say. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, just to, um, to put us into the picture, um, Dr. Jenny, can you just outline for us the sort of work you're doing today and who you'd be doing that work typically with? Okay. Um, I normally work with people at work. So I'm invited by different businesses and organisations to go and speak to them about some aspect that they're usually having some difficulty with in terms Mm. of performance-related issues or people-related issues because they're too often combined together. So if they're having trouble with um, introducing organisational change, which seems to be the flavour of the month or the year at the moment, then they sometimes get me to come in and talk to people about what's what's going on in people's brains when when they're confronted with change. And so I I sort of educate people about how their brain works um, so they understand a bit more about why they think or behave in a certain way and to help them understand why other people think and behave in different ways. Why the brain, Jenny? Like when you 
chose to study, you chose a field. Why yeah. specifically the brain? Um, well, I was working in general practice for many years and quite a large cohort of my, my patients were older and some of them were developing memory problems uh, or developing dementia. And I just thought, it, I mean, it just totally sucks when, when that happens. But I also mm. thought when we were handling it so badly, we just knew so little about what was leading people to experience these difficulties. I started sort of researching more about what the brain science was, was finding out about these things because it was all relatively new. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, well, hey, it's not just about looking after our brain as we get older so we don't suffer those, those problems, but also how to look after our brain at any age so that we can, you know, do our best at whatever we're trying to, to work at. So it doesn't matter if you're at school at work or at work. Um, and it's interesting, although much of my work currently is with people in the workplace, I'm, I'm being invited more and more by people from universities or schools to talk to them and to their students about how to look after their brains and make sure that they you know, can look after themselves and, and work to their true potential, as, as people like to say. I, I find it a bit fascinating with general practitioners, Jenny. I'm really on the fence with how general practice is done today. Mm. Is, is it your belief that there should be more education for general practitioners in their training set up an ongoing approach to medicine around the brain? Absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that it will eventually happen. It's just that we've, you know, the way that the medical system is set up to teach medicine is that it's all outcomes focused. We, we are presented with a set of symptoms that somebody's got. We're taught to how to make a diagnosis and how to manage that so that you hopefully restore somebody to health. And the critical piece that we've been missing, and that's the major reason why I sort of left general practice, was because I thought, well, we're missing the point here. If we help people mm. to understand what they can do to stay well, then, okay, people are still going to get sick and still going to need sort of medical yeah. advice or whatever. But how much better off are we going to be as a society if we, we can look after ourselves better and take responsibility for our own brain health so that, you know, we're, we're less, less at risk of depression, anxiety, or, mm. or not being able to, to think very clearly. So I, I see there's a, there's a huge opportunity here for, for things to be done differently. And I, and I do think that a lot of people like myself are now starting to sort of question how medicine is being taught and really re-gear it towards a more holistic wellness approach which is great if, when that happens, but it's going to take a while. I read on your website you said that your mission is to become the Jamie Oliver of brain fitness, making brain health <laughs> as, as widely appreciated as nutrition, which is kind of what you just said to us about looking at general practice and so on. Why, mm. why is it that brain fitness is not as well recognised? Why is it that we're not hearing more about looking after your brain? Because Robbo and I talk a lot about We've talked about emotional obesity, physical obesity, wellness, foods, processed foods, you know, um, exercising yeah. and so on. But that topic of brain fitness, you just don't seem to hear that in the, in the general news or in, in 
Why, why is that? I think part of the reason has been that up until fairly recently, not that much was known about brain health or brain fitness. Mm. Um, the, all the focus has been on physical fitness or sort of looking after our mental health and well-being. And I think it's because while people are interested in the brain, it just hasn't become that mainstream yet. But I think we're just, we're just on the cusp. It's just starting to happen because more and more people are starting to be aware. And we're seeing so many great books being written by sort of Norman Doidge and others who are really mm. elevating people's awareness and understanding about this marvellous brain that we, we've all been sort of endowed with. And I think now we're starting to see that, that trend. And I think while it, it seems relatively new at the moment, I think over the next few years, brain health will become just normal, as normal as, as Jamie Oliver t- talking about healthy food. Mm. And that's what, what I'd love to see. When you talk about Norman Doidge's work or Daniel Armand's work or all these guys who are writing fabulous books about the brain, mm. is brain health different to brain fitness? I, I see it being the same thing. It's just sort of, yeah, you can call it call it whatever you like. But brain okay. fitness no, no, and brain health, I, I see it being the same. Jenny, I, I came across a study and I'm interested in your thoughts on it. I came across a study from a university in Finland. It was a study in rats and they took three groups of rats and, and without going into details, they gave one group basically did exercise, which was like uh, long distance, like marathon running or whatever. Yeah. They, they gave another group of rats short, high energy interval exercise and they gave yeah. another load yeah. weight bearing exercise and basically yeah. what they found was the group that, that did the marathon running walking um sort of in, in exercise the the regeneration of the brain cells in their hippocampus was two to three times higher than the other forms of exercise is, is that mm. is that something that you would concur with that that, that finding doesn't surprise me because yeah. um it's from, from my reading around different studies too, um, it's certainly the, the reason why exercise is meant to be so good for us is not particularly from the brain's perspective. It's not just the extra oxygen and the extra nutrients that get sort of flooded up to our brain cells, but it's actually having an impact on the, the brain cells themselves. We, when we exercise, we start to produce more of a substance called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor for short and that helps to maintain our brain cells in good working order but it also is involved in the process of what we call neurogenesis or the production of new brain cells and at the moment it's recognized that there's only a couple of places in the brain that are capable of neurogenesis and the hippocampus is one of them so by exercising regularly and probably for a more as you say, a more extended period of time. I mean, I'm no rat and I don't do long distance running. But um, the idea of sort of walking or running for longer periods of time to, to stimulate that greater release of BDNF and promote that production of, of you know, the 700 or so new brain cells that we, we produce every day is, is, is fantastic. And um, it, it's... It's what they call building up our cognitive reserve, which is a great thing because it makes me think of little piles of money. <laughs> sort of, we've got extra cognitive <laughs> reserve in store because we're producing all these new brain cells and exercise is the best way to, to promote that, that process because it's one thing to produce a new brain cell, 
but it's another thing to um, have it survive and then be you know, able to mature into a fully functioning brain cell that can then be used usefully to us. So exercise is involved in that process. But it's interesting to compare there... it to the, to the other things because interval training is all the rage at the moment, you know, four minutes of really high-intensity exercise really sort of builds up your physical fitness. And it, while it's good for your brain, um, your brain likes a bit more sort of longer-term stuff as well. Jenny, is there, is there something else that we should be thinking about this neurogenesis. So we've talked about long to like longer range exercise. So walking, riding, running, whatever it may be, which is great. In your mind, with what you've done in practical neuroscience, somebody listening goes, okay, they can immediately decide to lace on their shoes and go for a long walk. So that's, is there something else that you would suggest from your background research data that says, here are some other things to think about for neurogenesis? I think um, the other thing to consider is is how we manage our stress levels um, because when we are under a lot of excess negative stress, we produce more and more stress hormones, you know, the adrenaline and the cortisol. And it's the cortisol which, if it's allowed to build up to more more toxic levels, actually start knocking off brain cells and, and stops that, that process of neurogenesis. So if we can go for lo- lo- lovely long walks are actually good for helping to manage our stress anyway. So, you know, you're, you're achieving two things at the same time. But I think uh, one of the major issues that I see what, in my work is, is helping people to manage the amount of stress that they're dealing with on a daily basis because in so many instances, it's it's stopping them in their tracks, it's diminishing their performance, and of course it's, it's damaging our, our brain health. So I think knowing how to manage our stress more effectively, um, whether it's using exercise or other forms, can be a really great benefit to keep our brain healthy and to promote the wonderful um, processes we have available to us, such as neurogenesis. We, we talk about stress and the damage it can do and I like mm. that idea of the cognitive reserves. I think that's a really nice way to think of having this bank account of yeah. cells that we have in our brain. Tell me, can you give me some real-life examples of the sort of stress that we put ourselves under? Because I know I've spoken to people and read about some stress is good for us. Like we need some mm. stress in our lives. It builds resilience yeah. and so on. What sort of – give me examples in a, in a workplace, for example, or a home, a day in the home where – these sorts of specific examples of stress would damage our cognitive reserves in our brain. Well, I think if we, if we looked at, say, the workplace, um, a lot of people are working to deadlines all the time and the deadlines are getting tighter and they're having to deal with more work to sort of squeeze into the, the working day. Um, and that all adds to ongoing stress levels. So it's not just one particular stress. It's sometimes a combination of things which adding up together adds up to a lot of stress on, on the brain and, and we're trying to sort of just get through our day as fast and as well as possible. In in the home situation, it's it's usually around the relationships we have with other people. Um, if 
we're having difficulty with a relationship or if we've got family or children and they're sick. I mean, all that is you know, adding to our stress load and our, uh, the amount of worry that we, we have to cope with on a daily basis. So I think those, those type of things add to increasing stress levels. And, and, and stress, I mean, I, you, you're so right. Too often we, we talk about stress as only being a negative thing and learning how to reframe that stress so that we don't see it as necessarily being a bad thing, but just your body sort of reacting to a way, in a way, because you're, you're preparing yourself, this could be a dangerous place and I need to get out, away from it quick, smart. Acknowledging that, that, you know, it's normal to be anxious if you're going in for an interview or um, something like that and recognizing those butterflies in your tummy are just telling yourself that you're, you're preparing yourself to do the best you can rather than being frightened of it. It's just sort of changing that, that perspective and then using your stress to your advantage rather than seeing it as, as purely a negative. Jenny, I, I saw something online, um, a talk you were doing, and you, you talked about the plasticity of the brain. Yes. To put it in perspective for our listeners, plasticity is basically referring to how our brains are constantly changing. Mm. Does, does, does stress contribute to that plasticity? Well, yes, stress, stress can sort of work in two ways. As, as I mentioned before, if we get overstressed and we've got high cortisol levels, it stops neurogenesis but it also reduces our plasticity mm. um, because it, we, we have this marvellous brain which is plastic and so it's constantly adapting to changes in our environment whether they're good changes or bad changes. If it's a good change and we're looking to see oh this is a good thing I want to remember about this and you're laying down a new memory or embedding a new habit that's great but sometimes uh, we find ourselves in a position of, you know, dangerous or something bad happens to us and we form that memory, but then we replay it over and over and over, strengthening that, that um, neural pathway, strengthening those connections. So that's where plasticity can work against us. No. So plasticity has to be treated with respect. It can be great. We can direct our plasticity to help us because it implies that we can actually train our brain to change our mind by sort of our choice of focus if we want to upskill in a certain brain function. But it can also work against us if, if we sort of go to the dark side and we've got those patterns of thinking or, or memories which are sort of that, that don't actually make us feel so great. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about change, Jenny, that I know people I talk to in business and they're always restructuring. There's always change going on, mergers, acquisitions. It's just, it, it's, a, it's just a common part of today's business life. And you said at the top of the show that you quite often get called into businesses to help them deal with that. I'd be interested in knowing specifically what advice you give or what you talk about with the brain's reaction to these changes in business? Well, I, I sort of go back to sort of saying, well, how did your brain view change? And because our brain's constantly scanning the environment, looking for anything that's new or different because it wants to keep us safe and anything new or different might potentially be dangerous, um, we are actually set up to respond to anything new or different to assume that it's danger first. So the brain's perspective is always assume it's dangerous, draw your gun, be prepared to shoot, 
mm. and ask questions sure. afterwards to ascertain whether it is actually a danger or not. So if, if we're talking about change and it's a change that we are interested in and we've come to our own decision and thinking this is a great change and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, that's not the issue. It's when change is foisted onto us. Some video mm. comes along and says, I would like you to be doing this differently i would like you to introduce this new policy or procedure and so it's a new change and you you weren't sort of invited to sort of be in the formulation of it and so that can set up a defensive reaction because your brain's saying oh this could be dangerous quick get us out of here and so dealing with organizational change is, is showing people how to understand how to overcome that sort of typical reaction. So you move in a, what they call a more towards position so that instead of yep. seeing it as being dangerous, you start to sort of get that emotional attachment of why it is actually going to be a great thing and a great fit for the, for the workplace. And then sort of look to sort of enhance that towards movement so that you feel rewarded and motivated to continue with integrating the, the change into the organisation. So put yourself in the shoes of a leader... They mm. are going to implement change. Yeah. What advice would you give to a leader they should do be prior to actually sending the message and sharing what the change is in preparation for that moment? What would you say are the key steps a leader needs to think through before they actually execute? The key step is to have a really clear vision of exactly what it is that changes that they want to introduce how it's going to look, and they need to be painting it into a really big, bright, bold picture so that when they talk about it, people can actually understand what it is they're explaining and what it is that's going to be of benefit to them because they want to create a raving fan base. So they've got to make it compelling and interesting and rewarding so that people get the why of of the change because as soon as you get the why across which means communicating your message and being and sort of outlining a program if you like of how you're going to spread that message who you're going to be talking to which basically has to be everybody that's going to be impacted with it and keep repeating the message and invite all the people especially those who are naysayers the ones that are resistant and coming up with all the reasons why it shouldn't happen so that you've got that conversation happening because when we have that voice, when we feel heard, then we actually are much more likely to buy into that proposed change even if we don't like all the aspects of it. So as a leader, I think it's about being transparent. It's about leading by example so that you're, you're living the, the proposed change. So you're not just talking about it, you're actually living and breathing it so that others can see that you're authentic you're not hiding anything and it allows people to feel safe to actually connect with what you're talking about. Oh, that's gold, Robert. I think that's absolute gold. That's gold. Dr. Judy, you've written something which I found quite you know, interesting and I'd love to know more about is you wrote that the increasing use of abbreviated text in our tweets, emails and speeches can be doing something to our brain. I found that fascinating. What, what's behind that? Uh, oh, you, you want to get me going on text speak, do you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we've touched the wrong here, Gary. <laughs> I, th I think um, 
And, and and I've fallen foul of tech speak as well. I think I think we've all been infected with the same germ. But you know, tech speak is it's it's great because we can use it as a, a, a quick, fast abbreviation of the message we're trying to share. But I think the danger is that we set ourselves up for misinterpretation. And we set ourselves out to lack the ability to actually express ourselves because we're not using our vocabulary. When, when a kid learns to, to read and write, they're exposed to all these, or even to develop language, they're, they're, they're speaking and writing and using different words. And the more we listen and the more we use different words, the, the greater our vocabulary becomes. When we sort of condense everything into sort of three-letter acronyms and... Um, misspell things all the time, I think we're in danger of actually dumbing ourselves down, for want of a better expression, yeah, um, yeah. because we're, we're losing that ability to have the richness of our language, which allows us to fully describe what it is we're talking about. And when we want to learn something, if we want to really dive in deep and fully understand something, we need to have access to the complete works, if you like, rather than just the, the abstract. And I think text speak is, is a bit like sort of we're always, being, we're always dealing with the abstract and not sort of really getting to the nuts and bolts of what else we need to understand about the message. Uh, the, I was talking to somebody the other day, um, Jenny, and uh, we were talking about how quickly the year passes, mm. that Christmas and New Year seem like, you know, uh, ages ago, but, you know, we're already a third of the way through the year, but it just seems to have gone by in a blink. Australia Day came and went and it's kind of a bit of a yeah. blur. The, the Super Bowl seems like so long ago now. And <laughs> you've talked about the fact that the digital technology is adding to this perception of time poverty and technology is, yes. speeding up yeah. the way yeah. our brain perceives time. How does that work when our brain is perceiving time differently via technology. I find that quite it? fascinating. Mm. Yeah, there, there's, there hasn't been a lot of research into that, um, but it's becoming more evident that because we're now so digitally connected so much of our day that we spend an extraordinary amount of time either sitting in front of a, a laptop or we're working with a tablet or on our smartphones. And so we're, we're connected with our, our digital technology a lot of the time and it's interesting that our perception of how much time has passed when we're using this technology is actually incorrect. We think that we've, we've actually been spending more time than we actually have. And so that can create a bit of stress because I don't know about you, but when you've got sort of 20 things on your to-do list and you're thinking, crikey, you know, where's the morning gone? And I've been working hard on this all, you know, all morning using my computer. And, you know, where's the time gone? Whereas, in fact, if we, take, if we disconnect from our technology and work using something unique like a piece of paper and a pen, we actually sort of change the brain's perception of how much time has passed. It's as if we slow time down. Of course, we don't. But as soon as we have that feeling that we've got more time available to us, we don't feel quite as stressed. We take that pressure off ourselves and our thinking. 
And if we do that, we actually start to think better. We're, we're, we're able to think more clearly because we haven't got this relentless back pressure, if you like, sort of think faster, think faster, got to do this, got to do that all the time. And it's interesting how technology is, is influencing, you know, how we, how we think about things. And it's all perception. Which I which I find fascinating as well. It is. Uh, are we losing ourselves? Hearing you speak about that, are we losing ourselves in technology, where it's so easy to move from thing to thing, page to page, mm-hmm. post mm-hmm. to post? Are we losing ourselves in technology, where seemingly we get into into the screen? By the time we come out of the screen. Time has passed because we've been so immersed in it, which seemingly leaves us less time for the rest of the to-do list. Is that kind of what you mean? Partly, but it's it's this it's this sort of hyper-stimulating effect it's having on us because, like you say, you can just in a just a keystroke you go from one page to the next to the next to the next. So you're stimulating your brain quick, 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 quick all the time, and our brain can cope with that. But it, it's still adding to our, our stress and, and how much energy mm. we're chewing up using, using our, our brain to, to think. So I think it's really important that we need to, to sort of bear that in mind and think, okay, maybe it's, it's a good thing to use our technology to the, you know, for its wonderful advantages it provides us, but also to acknowledge that it's not necessarily a good thing to be, uh, utilizing all the time and to have what I call technology breaks or brain breaks where we actually sort of disconnect from all that technology just to sort of reconnect with with the bigger world at large and to slow slow our mind down. And and I've talked to people a lot about finding the, the time to think because so many people say to me, Jenny, you know, I'm so busy, I just don't have time to think anymore. And I'm thinking, what? But it's true. I don't, I don't know if you've heard that being said. Oh, of course, absolutely. Well. My word. Mm. Yeah. We haven't got time to think. You know, what are we doing with our brain all day if we're not thinking? <laughs> but it's true. We're just applying our brain in a different way. And, and I think we, you know, we tend to sort of go hurtling towards our future all the time. And sometimes it's good to acknowledge, well, not everything that was happening in the past is necessarily well and you want it something that you you think is going to be useful for you for longer than just the following morning studying it and then sleeping on it is the most effective way to transfer the the memory which starts off as a as a short term memory but then your brain decides actually that's a really useful piece of information i want to keep that during our sleep cycles the brain filters out which things it thinks you, is important to you and transfers them into long-term storage. And that involves the hippocampus, the area that's of the brain that's associated with learning and memory, and it involves the cortex. And so the process is as we sleep, your brain is replaying the day's events at high speed and picking out the salient points that it wants you to keep and then embedding them forming new synaptic connections as, as longer-term memory. This leads me on to my thesis, Jenny, Dr. Jenny. <laughs> now, <laughs> I have read and listened to and observed a lot of people who talk about gratitude journaling, and 
I know you have written about gratitude exercises. Now, mm. the majority of people that I hear talk about their rituals in the morning and most of the biohackers or people who are hacking happiness and hacking life would say, wake up in the morning and write down five-minute journaling, write down as part of that what you're grateful for. My thesis mm. is that I do it at last thing at night. So before I do mm. my reading, I write down stuff. So called a gratitude journaling, things to remember, so on. And I do it at night time with the belief that then when you go to sleep for your seven to eight hours, you actually go to rest thinking about great things and things you're grateful for. So it embeds it into your brain as opposed to first thing in the morning because then you leap into your day, you've got more stuff to take in. Uh, is there grounds for my thesis? I don't know, but I like the sound of it. I have to say, I think that's a great thesis. <laughs> I'm still I'm working on it, Jenny. I'm not there yet. Because, um, I do exactly the same thing. I'm, a, I'm an evening journaler. So, mm. so my evening ritual includes filling in my, my page of, you know, finding five things that I'm grateful for and saying why I'm grateful for, for them too. Mm. It's not just... Mm. Oh, yes, I'm grateful the sun shone today. Yeah, tick. Oh, I caught up with so-and-so for a coffee. Tick. Yeah, grateful for that. It's, <laughs> it's, you have to ascribe a bit of meaning to why that makes you feel grateful because I think that's a more powerful way of doing it. But then then, then I do my nighttime reading and, and sort of go off to sleep. And I think you're right. I think there's probably something to that. Um, a, a lot of people do journal in the morning. And, and for some people, I think it's the clarity because, I'm also a morning person, so I love getting up bright and early before the rest of the household because that's when I'm at my freshest and that's when my, my ideas are more likely to come bubbling to the surface and I like to jot them down. So if, you, if you're that sort of person where that's the time where you'd like to tap in with your innermost thoughts and want to journal them, then absolutely fine. So I, I don't know that there's definitely advantage to doing it in the morning or the evening, but I, because I'm an evening journaler, I'm going to go with your thesis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to I'll, I'll progress my thesis, Jenny. Uh, He's going to change just, his just, website just, now. You know that it'll be Dr. Gary Birtwistle. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Robert. <laughs> You'll address me as Doctor. I'll, just, I'll take Doc from now on. Um, Jenny, you early in the interview you spoke of our lack of thinking time, and I have been on this drive for some time and I'm reading a very interesting book at the moment called, and I mentioned this on the show before, called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And he talks about the fact of some of the great uh, creators, inventors, innovators spend time thinking deeply and really focusing on one thing and spending the time to dig into it as opposed to the majority of our lives are spent in shallow thinking. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious to know how deep work or thinking fits into your day. Do you have a ritual around it? You mentioned being a morning person, journaling at nighttime. As someone who studies practical neuroscience, where does, where does deep work or deep thinking fit in your day? Is it a regular thing? Is it a scheduled thing? Is it ad hoc? It's, it's a bit of both. Getting out of it that way, aren't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, it depends. <laughs> um, my, my morning ritual includes um, often taking the dogs down for a walk along the beach. And for me, that space where you've just got the sky above you, the sand and the water, um, 
and just and I always make the point I do not take a phone with me I do not listen to music I'm just there experiencing nature at its most beautiful and for me that is the space where I'm thinking about things and I love it so that that for me is is part of my ritual but also it will happen at other times but you know if I'm traveling or if I'm you know interstate and I haven't got I can't do my normal ritual, then it's about putting in place that 15 or 20 minutes where I can just be on my own and preferably outside because that's, that's what works for me. But inside will work if I have to, just just to spend time just to think. So, you know, not being distracted by anything else. I haven't got my laptop open. Um, I switch my phone off and I'm just there, just thinking. Um, and I also like to... Um, practice some mindfulness, mindfulness meditation as a, as a separate piece. So for me, that that ten or fifteen minutes where I'm just I like to listen to a guided meditation that helps to sort of take me into a different place. And sometimes as I'm sort of coming out of that, I think, oh, great thought, catch that one now, park it, and then come back to it later. So I think it's it's working out what works for different people. But I think the most important thing is to is to schedule it in so it does become a, a daily activity in the same way as you get up and brush your teeth. Why not schedule in your 10 to 15 minutes of thinking time? And it doesn't have to be at any particular point when it works for you. Do you use a, a particular guided meditation? Like is there an app or a program or a CD set that you use specifically? There, there are loads on the market. I, I just happen to use one that's called Mindfulness Workout. Um, I like it because it's got different lengths of guided meditation, so I can do it from five minutes to, to 30 minutes, depending on circumstances. And it just instantly takes me into that, that little sort of quiet space in my mind where I just sort of focus on my breathing and just chill out. It just sort of calms me right down and sort of gets me ready for the rest of the day. Robo and I quite often talk about Bruce Lee. He was a famous movie star and martial artist who said, it's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. What's something that you, yeah. And I, 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 I do like a lot. And I am curious when I talk to people like yourself, what's something you have hacked away at? What's an unessential that you have taken out of your world in the last Months, six months, 12 months, that's had a profound effect on you, your performance, your productivity? Ooh, I think it's probably still a work in progress rather than something What are you hacking at? Still working, still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's, it's allowing myself to stop. I mean, although I do the practice with the meditation and the walking and other things like that, I still have to, uh, it's still a struggle for me to actually implement that so that's why I still say it's a work in progress because I tend to be one of these driven people I love my work I get you know drawn into it and and the you know the, the danger there is that you just keep going and and you fail to observe the stop signs so for me it's it's observing the stop signs and making sure that I do actually stop um Jenny, I think at this point of the show, we're going to let you go and get on with your day. Um, Robbo, I think we've sufficiently uh, warmed up Dr. Jenny for the big question. 
The big question. <laughs> this is the most important question that, that you'll answer in the next year for sure. We, um, it's one that I always like to like to ask because I I, I've, I love my music and so I'm interested to know your thoughts. Um, yeah. You're in the car on your way to a big presentation. We're not sort of quite feeling it today. You know, you've been for your walk along the beach and all the rest of it, but still your mojo's not quite there. What's mm -hmm. the go-to song that you turn on in the car to get your mojo going, to get you pumped and ready to make that big presentation? <laughs> Oh, golly. <laughs> Be honest. Yeah, we, we, we all have a nice, honest mind, answer here. There's probably a number of ones which would probably be more appropriate, but the one that comes to mind first off is I Will Survive. Ah, ah. there you go. Nice. nice. Gloria Gaynor. Yes, good old Gloria. Good old Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> And, and oh. music is such a powerful thing. I know we, we underestimate the power of music to mm. to enhance our well-being mm. and, you know, joy de vivre. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, love it. I think that's a beautiful choice. I love that. And right. there's, there's, two, there's two things. No, there's two, two things about Dr. Jenny. Number one is it takes Robert back to his days up at Oxford Street in his radio days, <laughs> um, up, on, up, up on the bar in the makeup and short skirt dancing. So, I mean, we look, I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying, just saying. You forgot the weed, <laughs> the, other, the, other, <laughs> the other part of it, Jenny, just uh, as a final question before we let you go, um, seeing as you've raised it, what does music do to the brain in a... In a neuroscience plasticity sense, neuroplasticity sense, what does you said there's power in music for the brain? What does it do? Like, can you explain that to us? Um, well, purely from a sort of well-being aspect, I think um, some of our strongest memories are around, you know, the people we meet and the music we listen to. Mm. And if you want to put yourself in a space, you know, if you want to cheer yourself up or, you know, remember somebody fondly, what what do we tend to do? We, we, we think about them, we try to visualize a person, but we're often listening to the music in our head at the same time. Um, so I think, you know, we we underestimate how how useful music can be to help us to, to, to function as sort of healthy, useful human beings. Um, there, there's some work that's looked at sort of how the brain sort of appreciates music and, and the rhythm of music. And I think it goes back to the, you know, the, the primal beat that, that music has. And we, we, we all have, you know, different rhythms in our body. And it all, that's, I'm, I'm now starting to sound a bit woo-woo here. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been shown that, you know, we, we synchronize with other people um, in different ways, in, you know, the language we use. But we also synchronize when we're listening to music. To some extent, so you get people singing together in choirs. And we, everybody sort of starts to come together and they sing as one. So for me, I, I see music as a very powerful tool. Yeah, it'd be an interesting study to do. I, I'm, I'm a bit curious as to see what happens with these scans they do of people's brains where depending on what's going on inside the brain, the changes in colour and as Daniel yeah. Arman and these guys talk about where you can actually change the shape and make your brain healthier through... I just, just hearing you speak about that, I, I'm very curious now because you're quite right. There's the rhythm that makes you feel good. There's singing with others. There is the dancing aspect that makes you feel great. And there's music mm. that makes you smile. And there's the mm. emotive music that relaxes you where you just chill out and the world synchronizes yep. up. 
So I, I think that's such a um, – because the music is a big, big part of the Mojo Radio Show. We, every show we, we talk about music and so on. But I think that's, um, that's a very interesting lesson of rock, Robbo, that we hadn't really entertained before in, in that mm. sort of sense with the brain. Absolutely. And I, I, I would just mm. add to that that there's nothing like a good, good old chunky guitar riff to get your mojo going, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like a bit of Milli Vanilli guitar no, riff just that's to, right. hey, yeah, yeah. hey, come on, come on. Gary, Gary well, went looking at his own record collection to come up with an artist for that statement. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. Um, Jenny, this has been terrific. We, um, it's in, over the last number of months, Robbo and I have been delving into the brain and finding different angles to share with our audience on the brain, brain health, brain fitness, performance, productivity, and you've really given us a completely different bent on the stuff that we have talked about up till now. And um, it's been a delight talking to you. Really appreciate your time and uh, thank you so much for sharing. Where, where can people find out more about Dr. Jenny? Um, easiest place is just to hop onto my website, which is just drjennybrockers.com. So it's D-R for doctor and then my name, J-E-N-N-Y. B-R-O-C-K-I-S dot com. Cool. Go. And the book that Robert mentioned was Future Brain and we will put a link to the book on Amazon. Is that the right place to send people for that, Jenny? Yes, it's available online at Amazon. It's also available at all good bookstores. Uh, you, sound, you sound like a pro. You sound like a pro. <laughs> She's taking my favourite <laughs> copywriting line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot, Jenny. We hope to keep in touch with you. And uh, Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I don't know about you, mate, but my brain is uh, in meltdown mode after that one. <laughs> I thought it was great. I love that. Good, I, I thought I just love smart people like that who give us a perspective and give us something to think about and... We've been on this rave now for the brain, but I must say that if people take the time to sit down, take the notes in their journal and activate one small thing after each show, um, your brain health, your brain fitness, your functionality, the impact it has on your business and your personal life, it's it's got to be getting mojo working. Absolutely. And you put them all together, some of those episodes we've done, and God, you've got an encyclopedia of brain health, don't you really? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we've spoken to some interesting people. It's been great. Now, I was pretty excited when you sent me a note saying that Mossy is Mossy. a fan of the Mojo Radio Show. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, 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 I just... Mossy. Mossy, a, 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 a gentleman I'd never worked with before rang me during the week last week uh, to talk, to discuss some work that he needed done. And um, turns out, yeah, he's a regular listener of the Mojo Radio Show. So Darren Moss, who's the general manager of CFM in, uh, in, in New Zealand... Uh, welcome along, mate. It's good to have you uh, as a listener Mossy. to the show. Mossy. He will forever well, be known as Mossy. <laughs> Mossy. Mossy. Uh, just on that, very mm. quickly for 30 seconds, Carl Feister, Blake, Blake Beatty. What's that? Does that name ring a bell? Blake Batty. Yeah, Batty. it does. It Blake does. Batty. I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it does he ring a bell. He during the week. So, Blake on your... Uh, <laughs> Carol Tamaru. Bronwyn Thomas, Brian Johnson and Ken Richardson, Richo. Show. Um, have all uh, liked the show in the last week or so. And i got to say, guys, it's just thank you so much. It keeps us. We don't have any advertising at all. We don't do any sponsorship, any advertising. We do the whole thing for nothing. We don't even plug our own stuff. But what does keep us going is a comment or a like or 
some message you send to us through one of the social avenues or going onto iTunes is probably the one that's the, the most beneficial for everybody and leaving us a review of some description because that helps us share the message with more people. So for all those guys who've sent a message out, a shout out on you guys. Hmm. We love it. Indeed. We love it. It does, and it gets us going. It's always nice to wake up in the morning and get that little message from Facebook that, you know, you have a couple more likes or someone's left a message or whatever. It's always nice. So, um, yeah. Well, it, it goes in the journal, you know, because that sort of stuff is part of what we talk about with gratitude journaling. We're grateful mm. to those people for sharing it. It uh, makes us feel good. So, um, all Indeed, right. I think we're almost done, are we? We're done. I've got a quick lesson in rock. God of rock. Thank you for this chance to kick ass. Now let's get out there and melt some faces! The Mojo Radio Show's Lessons in Rock. So my lesson of rock, we've actually spoken about a bit over the last um, couple of months in the Mojo Radio Show. It comes from sleep. And uh, artists who wake up in the middle of the night after having had an epiphany in their sleep and writing, you know, cracking rock and roll songs or, or songs that have, you know, in inverted commas, changed the world... Um, one that I didn't realise was one of those songs was Paul McCartney's Yesterday. Oh, right. Yeah, he woke up uh, and dreamed that he'd heard an orchestra playing the most beautiful melody in the world and actually got up in the middle of the night, walked downstairs to the piano and wrote Yesterday. And I guess the lesson here, folks, is that, you know, our dreams are firstly very powerful things, aren't they? Well, I think there's a number of lessons that I will add in here, Darren. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds so awkward, doesn't it? It does. Um, I bet your mum did that when you got in trouble. Oh, Darren, yeah. Darren, come here. what are you doing? That's right. Yes, Darren, did we indeed. need to talk. <laughs> That's right. Darren, come here. Anyway, um, I put a couple of caveats on this. Mm. I would say that one of the, well, the lesson I would take out of this was a number of lessons. So one lesson I take out is that the brain is terribly powerful and a, a tool we have in our brains is the subconscious mind. Mm. And part of it, if you are struggling to find an answer for something, is to put the problem with as much information in your mind as possible and then forget about it. Mm. So the subconscious mind particularly works overtime whilst you're asleep because all the other distractions are gone, you're relaxed. You're, so there's all these good reasons why your subconscious mind works well, which is why ideas come to you in your sleep. Now, the caveat that would be would change things today from probably back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago when a lot of these great songs were written is that today we have social media where you can engage your brain in bed as the last thing you do before you go to sleep. 15, 20 years ago, it was all done on pen and paper and you wouldn't take your work generally to bed with you. So mm. I would say the caveat is use your subconscious mind. If you're thinking about something and you're doing deep work on it, deep thinking, put as much information as you can close the book, forget about it, and then come back to it, let your sleep do the good work. The other part of it, because of social media, is you need to switch off all social media activity, all digital activity, two hours before you go to sleep. Otherwise, you'll take a work problem to sleep and you won't go to sleep, and that defeats the whole purpose of your lesson of rock. The other one I'd say is that is terribly important, and it sort of ties into something that I heard many years ago about Sting from the police. He wrote every breath you take in 83 in the middle of the night. And whilst asleep, he woke up with the line, every breath you take, I'll be watching you in his head. And he went straight to his piano and wrote the song in 30 minutes. Yeah, right. Yeah. The lesson for me is journaling is such an important part, whether you're sitting on a plane and a line, an idea, a concept, a solution to something comes to mind, you need a repository. Now, either digitally with Evernote, where you drop everything into Evernote, which is one of the great repositories in a digital sense, or 
even better still, go old school and have a, a journal and just write it in there. Because we have, remember, you know, Keith Richards wrote, what was the song he wrote? Um, uh, he wrote Satisfaction. Yeah, he, he, Satisfaction. Well, he actually didn't realise he'd written it. He woke up, yeah. the story goes that he woke up in the morning and the cassette recorder that he kept next to his bed was at the end rather than at the beginning. He'd left it the night before and he, he hit play and heard these chords and it was actually the first, the intro and the first verse to Satisfaction. Yeah, so yeah, so, yeah. that was back then. Today we'd have a written journal or an Evernote or some repository for your ideas. So I think there's a number of great lessons in there that subconscious mind's really powerful. Give yourself two hours before you go to sleep to switch off all those devices and then let your subconscious mind do its great work. Get a great night's sleep, which is where your creative mind is very active, but you need to have a repository. So when things come to you, either in your sleep or during the day, you've got something to write them down on because an idea generally is like looking at a bird in the tree. Like you look at it, you really admire it. You look away to tell somebody, look back, the bird's gone and it's gone forever. It's the same thing with ideas. So um, what are we going to play out with then? Well, I reckon we should play out with Sting, but just before we do, I've got to tell you this one story about Keith and satisfaction. When he told the story once, he said that there was the intro and the first verse of the song that he'd recorded in mm. his sleep. <laughs> and then there was 42 minutes of snoring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sounds like Keith, different. right? <laughs> it's a whole different episode. It is indeed. But yeah, let, let's play out with Sting this week because that's a cracker song. Right.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.